So I find that there's two types of people. People that love winter and people that don't. Who's with me and say, winter's like my favorite season? Now, there's a few of us. All right, Ed, that's great. I love winter. I can put on layers. I can't take off enough in the summer. So I love winter. And then there's those of us that love Chronicles of Narnia and those that have never heard of it or can't stand that. So I know there's some Narnia fans in this room. Amanda, I heard this week. Pastor Stucky, I was shocked at how big of a Narnia fan you are this week. Anybody else with them? All right, who's with me and like, eh. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But for those of you that have not, don't know what this movie was, you're like, what did we just watch? I love that when the fawn comes in and he does that little heel kick. It's just fun. It's just fun. But C.S. Lewis has us think about a world where it's always winter and it's never Christmas. Think about a world that would be like not to have Christmas within a hundred years. And I love Lucy's response. What? No presents for a hundred years? A hundred years of nothing. Cold, snow, no, no presents. No hope. Just winter. So C.S. Lewis portrays this idea as always winter, never Christmas, but it's also a prophetic biblical narrative. We, we see it like a metaphor here between darkness and light, and we sang about that in many of our songs this morning. The prophet Isaiah puts it this way, those who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Isaiah 9, verse 2. You're going to hear this verse over the next four weeks, over and over and over. It may be dark now. There be, may be no presence on the horizon. But there is coming a great light. Look for it. Prepare for it. Anticipate it. Live your life as it could happen at any, any moment. Same story. Always winter, never Christmas. Light, darkness, just different metaphors. So as we think about what is happening in the narrative of Scripture, in a very powerful way, it seems like it gets stuck as we approach the end of the Old Testament. Before we see the act, too, of God in His redemptive story. From, we, have, we have creation, and then we have the fall, and then we have the patriarchs, and we have the matriarchs the, uh, of our faith, and we get to model that after. We see the rise of Israel. We see the giving of the law in the Old Testament. We see the prophets. And then we start to see the Old Testament begins to weave its way down as we get to the end of the Old Testament. And we sense that God's kingdom is starting to fall apart because the people are choosing sin over God. And we see the darkness just over and over and over. And we see Israel being carried off into exile, which is a very hard, dark, oppressive season for them. So then we get to the end of the Old Testament. So we have all this. And then we have 400 years of silence. 400 years of nothing before we have the opening of what God is going to do in his second act, this great act of redemption. But God was not silent during this period. The narrative seems like it's frozen, but God is powerfully advancing his kingdom in many, many ways. Now imagine during that time period, there's a group of people. And it might be hard to imagine, but these people have become somewhat skeptical. 
maybe even cynical about what God was doing in their lives. They began to doubt the fundamental uh, levels about what is happening, where is God, what is he up to. The things that they have put their faith in have seemed to fall apart here at the end of the Old Testament. Doesn't that happen in our lives? We, we quickly get distracted. Life starts to happen. And we start to focus on what's maybe not as important. We might complain that it's always winter in our lives. And time marches on and on and on. And all through this exilic period of the Old Testament, where the prophets, which Pastor Mark was talking about, we see them starting to shake the people and saying, hey, pay attention. It's not always winter. It might seem like it's winter right now. But there's great things that are going to happen. We see that in Jeremiah 29, 11. The prophet Jeremiah shouts out in a very familiar verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and to give you a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Even when the Israelites were in exile, in this winter season, when things seemed hopeless, they had these hopeful words from the prophets. Isaiah chapter 40 I'm going to read a chunk of that if you have your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 40, another familiar one. But listen to how the prophet Isaiah kind of wakes the people up and points them to truth. Start at verse 27. Oh, oh Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Anybody been there before? God doesn't see what's happening. Yeah, I know God's omniscient. I know he's always there, but he doesn't know what's going on in my life. Oh, Jacob, how can you see the Lord doesn't see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? I love this. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. These are Isaiah's words to the, the people that are in exile. There is hope. There's hope. Prepare. Big things are going to happen. Turn to your neighbor and say, there is hope. I don't know what you're going through in life, but there is hope. Say it again. There is hope. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Christmas hope. So Isaiah even gives him a sign from God in the midst of the exile. And we heard this already in Isaiah chapter 7. But I think it's a great reminder. All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look! Like, look around, see what's happening. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. As God raises the curtain on his second act of his redemptive story in the New Testament, the gospel writers have this incredible task that God is up to something huge. God's always up to something huge. Are you watching for it? Are you looking for it? God's always, always moving, worldwide and individually in our own lives. He's bringing light to a very, very dark situation. And the prophets are reminding the people over and over and over. 
Now, it doesn't help that as we open up the second act in, in, in the Gospels, that it's a lot of kind of ordinary type of events. Sometimes I just wish God would do like fantastically huge things in my life so I won't miss them. He does. Sometimes I don't have eyes to see them. But in this situation, the gospel writers, they have to start the second act, the story in their gospels with a virgin who's pregnant on a road to pay taxes. Just ordinary, plain things. But they're saying, watch out. God is working. But to show the depth of cynicism, where these people have been living in darkness for so long, God sends his son Jesus, Emmanuel, and they have a hard time believing it. Even when Jesus or those around him were performing miracle after miracle after miracle. Zechariah, the priest, they've been wanting to have a baby for so many years. And finally, the angel Gabriel comes to them and says, you're going to have a baby. Look at how he responds in Luke chapter 1. It's not like, oh yes, we're going to see this light. We're so, we're so ready for this. No. Look what, he, look what he says. Zachariah said to the angel, verse 18, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now since you did not believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Gabriel had a hard time believing that God was moving. That there's light in this darkness. So as the gospel writers start the second act of the New Testament, they are attempting to convince the people that these, what, what these prophets have been prophesying about for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're taking them and they're, wake, they're shaking them and saying, wake up, pay attention to what's going on. So listen to how John starts. Go to John chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. John chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 9. This is how John starts his gospel. He's writing to these people that are cynical and, and they're skeptical. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. Do you recognize him? He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. He's writing to people that are in darkness. And he's saying, you have this choice. Go to, go to Luke. Look what Luke says at the beginning of his gospel. Luke chapter 1. Back there, we were just there. But I want you to re see this. This is how he starts in verse 1. I love to hear the turn of the pages. I'm purposely not pausing. We've got a lot to cover. But listen to this. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitnesses reports circling among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. 
They're skeptical. They're checking everything out. I have also decided to write an account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. That's not an offer we get very often, is it? I'm putting this together so that you can know with certainty. I know you have doubts. I know you have skepticism. I know you have been people living in darkness, and there's some of you that have seen a great light. I know some have re remained frozen, stuck in their story, stuck in their thoughts, stuck in their faith, stuck in their hearts, and I want to make sure you know Christmas is coming. And I want you to make sure that you are preparing and you are ready. And that what we can know for certain about the redemptive plan of God is being laid out in front of your eyes. Do you have eyes to see? Or are you stuck in your life? So when C.S. Lewis sits down to write his Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, and Witch, and the Wardrobe, in some ways he's creating a parity metaphorically the story of what's happening. And he creates the story of Narnia. And in the world of Narnia, he is somehow trying to convey the purposes of what God is doing throughout history. That he's not silent. That he's moving. That the narrative, the story is continuing. And that it's not always winter, never Christmas. Then as we watch the movie, we see winter start to melt away. And the movie unfolds and the hope of Christmas springs forth. So here's a confession. I did not read or listen to the Chronicles of Narnia until my kids were younger. I thought it was strange, as many of you did. For a season, though, I decided there's so much hype about this, I need to try it. So I bought the, D the CDs, and instead of doing a Bible reading at night with the kids, we listened to the Chronicles of Narnia for a season. And the first time I heard that phrase... Always winter, never Christmas. I was like, wow, there is great depth to that. And as I've gotten older and as I've studied, there is a huge theological truth to it, a reality to it. There's often that I can describe parts of my life that way. That it's always winter in this area of my life. Where things have gotten frozen. Where, where God does not seem to intervene. And then I think of the prophets, people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the deep darkness, a light will shine. Same thing, different metaphors. So over the next few weeks, as we walk through this Christmas season, we're going to look at places in our lives where we have gotten stuck. The question for you to ponder this first Sunday of December is, where have you been stuck? Where are you frozen? Where is it in your storyline that you would say, it feels like the narrative of my life has stalled out, that it's always winter, and I need God to intervene in this area. So where are you frozen? Hey, Ryan, can you come up here? So put together what's in this bag, okay? Right on the desk here. So I want you to think about this. Frozen thoughts for the rest of this message. Think about the reality that our thoughts have power. Many are familiar with this quote. 
What you think, you become. Say it with me. What you think, you become. You can get away from a lot of things in your life. But when the problem is in your head, it's hard to get away from, isn't it? Amen. I, I like the thought of fro- I like the idea of frozen thoughts. Kind of sounds so so cozy. My thoughts kind of would get sluggish, and then my they would kind of stop, and my brain would just kind of like oh, I can just sit back in peace, so peaceful, just like. Mm. Sadly, that's not how frozen thoughts work. Nothing sluggish about frozen thoughts, are there? They're not slow moving at all. In fact, they usually ride in herds around our brains, untamed and unchecked. Round and round and round they go. Frozen thoughts does not mean that your brain is not racing a million miles an hour. It means that your frozen thoughts have found a track to run on. Keep going around. <laughs> they found a track to run on in your brain. And then they, take, they seem to take the, la- the same track over and over and over. And you're stuck. You're frozen. Your dad, when you were younger, might have told that you're never going to amount to nothing. And as you move forward in life, every time you try something new, you hear that in the back of your head. I'm worthless. I'm not going to amount to anything. Or you try something new, and anxiety sticks in, and, and, and fear creeps in. And every time you think of this, fear comes back on the same loop, round and round and round. Or, or maybe you made a terrible choice when you were younger. And you affected some people's lives. And you're stuck in the guilt and in the shame. And you go round and round and round. And you cannot get past that. Frozen thoughts. Your thoughts have tremendous power. But God says, there's, there's light. There's light coming. Thank you, Ryan. There's light coming. So I've read this quote from Marcus Aurelius, the soul becomes dyed with the color of its thoughts. Or from Soren Kierkegaard, our life always expresses the results of our dominant thoughts. Linger on that for a moment. Our life always expresses the results of our dominant thoughts. It suggests that the world it's not happening to us. It's the condition of our life, the condition of the story, our dip- disposition, but the way that we think about them. So when life happens to it, how do you think about it? What do you do to filter these things through your mind? The scripture admonishes and calls us to think better. We live in the light. We need to think differently. Read, the first, read these verses with me. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Yes, God, renew my mind. Go ahead and fix. I'm a child of the light. My mind needs to be renewed. Read Philippians 4.8 with me. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Is that true of you this Christmas season? Is that a working definition of the track that your brain, that your thoughts run on? Or are you stuck somewhere?
true, excellent, admirable, worthy of praise? Are your thoughts stuck? So social scientists will give us tool after tool after tool of how to think better, and I'm thankful for those. And they're useful to help us separate ourselves from our frozen thoughts. But God gives us much wisdom and insight into this as well. He would know. He created us. So turn to Psalm 139. Because there's, I, I believe that there are four points here that David has learned how to train his thoughts to keep them from getting frozen and to live that out. So four important things come from this the psalm. The first one, so Psalm 130, Psalm 139. Let me just pause here. When you think of this psalm, a lot of times what do you think of? Sanctity of human life. The child, the unborn child. Can I just encourage you? Get on your knees and pray. Right now there's a lot going on through the Supreme Court and the and, and the the Roe versus Wade. Pray. We'll come back to it in, December, or in January. But this is the time to be on our knees. But for today, I want to look at four ideas from this psalm. First, David trained his thoughts to trust that God knew everything about him. Let's read this together. I'll have it up on the screen. Verses 1 through 6. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. You have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm do going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Too great for me to understand. So David trained his thoughts to trust that God knows everything about him. Let me ask you a question. How much time do you spend explaining your life to God? Or trying to analyze or explain your life to yourself? It seems like a lot of our frozen thoughts have to do with this sorting and trying to make sense of what has happened in our lives. Sometimes things that happen in our life that are so defined to kind of reality, it's just so hard to understand. We want answers. We want symmetry to life, don't we? And when it comes to signs of suffering in my life, when, when I know why they're happening, I can kind of buckle up and go through them. But it's when times where I don't have a clue what's going on or what's happening or why this sickness or why this disease, then I have a hard time. And my thoughts get frozen and they go round and round and round. David said, I have trained my thoughts to trust that God knows everything about him. I don't need to spend one more drop of energy trying to tell God what it's all about or how it works. What it means or my side of the story or how it interacts or who is right or who is wrong. I've trained my mind to say this, even before I speak a word. God, you already know, and I can rest in that. You know everything about me. Everything that helps the track that my brain runs on. Number two, David trained his thoughts to know that God is always with him. Let's read verses 7 through 12 together. 
I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and let the body become night. And in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So David had trained his thoughts to believe that God was always with him. And I love that metaphor. Some of us have this belief that, that, that God loves me when I'm good. And he doesn't like me much when I'm falling. Or when I fail. When I make bad choices. He turns his face from me. We, we know theologically that's not true. That's what we sense in our hearts. And David says, and David has become quite an authority on failure, hasn't he? Over and over and over. Part of my separation between me and God that exists is because I don't fully comprehend and live out of the fact that God is always with me. He paints this metaphor. It says, if I try to make the darkness hide me, so we think the darkness can hide us, right? We can just go hide ourselves in a little closet, in a little room. Even in the darkest hour of my thought, he knows me, and he loves me. And he's always with me. We can't escape it. And David said, there's freedom in that. Freedom in that. It helps out to thaw the frozen track that our mind runs on. David trained his thoughts to trust that God was always with him. Third thing he trained his thoughts to believe, that he was part of God's creative genius. He believed that. God created him, uniquely him. Let's read verses 13 through 18. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was the same day. How precious are your thoughts about me. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They are outnumbered the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. You are part of God's creative genius. I understand that we get all sort of beat up and fractured. There are things that we like and things that we don't. But when was the last time that you trained your thoughts to say, you know what? God actually invested his creative image in me. I am a product of the creative image of God. So I told you before, I knew when I was 15 years old, laying on a hospital bed at Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor, that God had called me to full-time ministry. The problem was, I didn't believe I could be that type of person. I didn't believe I fit that mold of a pastor or a minister or, or, or a missionary. So I told myself lies for the next 15 years, saying, 
You're not capable. You're not, you can't, you don't fit that mold. You don't look like Pastor Mark. I mean, and over and over, I, I, I just felt like I could not fill that role. But I remember distinctively one time, God whacked me aside the head and said, I have created you just the way you are. And I want you to use your gifts and your talents, and I want you to glorify me with who you are. So I challenge you to be the best person that God has created you to be. Use your gifts and your passions for the glory of God. And don't let someone knock you off that track. Don't let someone say, you're not, you're not good enough. You're not capable enough. And those ran through my mind year after year after year after year. But when I grasped that I was created in God's image, and he created me just the way I was, it's not a new concept to hardly anybody in here. But when you truly grasp it, it changes how you do life and how to think. To be what God has intended you to be. And you know where you lack, he's going to fill. He's going to fill because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And where he doesn't fill you with a certain what you think it looks like, he puts us in a body. And he says, where you're lacking, somebody else is going to pick up. But it all started with knowing, getting off this frozen track, and knowing God created me in his creative genius. And then fourth, David trained his thoughts to ask God for help. I love how this unfolds. It's like right in the middle of the prayer, of the end of the chapter here, David catches himself and he changes his prayer. Let's read this together and watch for the change. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. And lead me along the path everlasting. He begins with this prayer. This is what I want. This is how I want life to look. This is what I want you to do, my enemies. And then he catches himself. And he stops. And these are profound moments in our lives. When we stop telling God what to do, when we stop telling God what our life needs to look like, or we stop telling God all these things, and we say, you know what, God? Would you search me? Would you test me? Would you know the anxious thoughts that are running around my brain? Will you point out anything that offends you, God? God, is there any wicked way in me? And then lead me to... Lead me to the path of everlasting life. Begin to fill me with truth. Begin to fill me with honesty. Fix me. I'm not going to worry about anyone else anymore. Search me. Know me. So how often do we fail at this? So this morning I encourage you. How often do you come before God and say, God, my thoughts are frozen. Frozen. 
I know I'm supposed to be living in the light. I know you sent your light. I know I need to prepare. And thank you for sending your son Jesus. But I'm stuck. I'm frozen. And then what are you doing about it? Jesus came full of grace and truth. A light into the darkness. To say to all of us, you are not alone. It was winter. And there was no Christmas. But now, it is always Christmas. It was darkness. But now it's light. Are you living in that light? Are you moving forward? Are your thoughts being renewed? Or are you stuck? So this Christmas season, we are going to continually look at areas of our life that we are stuck. Because God wants to keep working in us. He wants you to move forward. And he wants you to renew your thoughts. A couple questions as we end. How do you respond when it seems to be winter all around you? When life just seems so hard? Do you renew your mind with the truth of Scripture? Or do you stay stuck in those frozen thoughts? What are the frozen thoughts that have found a track to run on in your brain? What is keeping you from being all that God has intended you to be? Are you in the process of training your thoughts to be true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise? And then live in the hope that it's not always winter, that Jesus came to change everything. He wants to start with you. So we're going to sing a song as we close. And it's a song called Waymaker. God is always working. And as we move into this Christmas season, maybe you need to confess some things where you're stuck. Maybe it is your mind, your frozen thoughts. I encourage you, if you need to, come on up. Kneel here before God and say, God, I need to live in the lightness, not in the darkness. I need you to show me where I'm stuck. Walk with me through this, and the Holy Spirit will in amazing ways.